What up, what up? Here we are with another episode of the Who's Where podcast. I'm your host, Chase Minifield, coming to you live from Washington, D.C. We have some new, fresh merch on the line. See me rocking a fresh Who's Where podcast hat. You know what I'm saying? And we got some new shirts and stuff coming in. Max, what's up, Max? You on the line? What's good? What's up, world? As you can see, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm on the move right now. I'm always on the move. Uh, I just want to get out there because Chase, I know Chase going to say something. We always got something to say. But I'm glad to be back here. We got we got a special guest today. We definitely got a good show for y'all. This is ridiculous, man. This is, I'm just telling you, like, I got <laughs> to run a tighter ship. It's ridiculous. But I think that uh, we're excited for our, our, our guest today. We have Michelle Vatisse. Is that right, Michelle? Yeah, that's the correct should, pronunciation. Good job. Her, good job. I should have said it before I got on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, we should have <laughs> talked about it. You got it right, though. That was good. But let me give the, the true introduction. All right, we have Michelle Vatisse a three-time All-American at the University of Virginia, an eight-year career with the United States Women's National Field Hockey Team, yeah. playing the 2012 and 2016 Olympics, and has earned a total of 211 international caps, which I'm assuming is games. Yeah, caps is games. Okay, cool, cool. That's pretty legendary right there. You're, is there do they retire jerseys in, in the field hockey team? Or no, not yet. Hopefully one day that's something that they'll do. My jersey's still not retired at Virginia either, but... In fairness, I grew um, a lot after actually I graduated from Virginia, probably because of my experience in Virginia that, you know, was able to kind of change my life for the better. Additionally, I will add, I went to two World Cups. So the World Cup is actually like a yeah, pretty incredible tournament. And it's a qualification process, very similar to the Olympics. And we were able to go in 14 and in 16. So, you know, that's obviously like, you know, a special event that the U.S. team was able to qualify for. And then the Pan Am Games, which is actually a world or sorry, a qualification tournament for the Olympics. I was able to play in two of those and actually, you know, obtain a gold medal in both of those, which gave us a um, guaranteed bid to the Olympics. So the qualification process is, you know, it's it's there's so much, obviously, that goes into qualification. But we always see like the end result of Olympic athletes careers and of their you know, kind of endeavors. But I think the really difficult part is, you know, seeing the journey and how you're able to get there. So yeah, very fortunate, very grateful. I didn't know half those stats. I didn't even know I was a three-time All-American. I had no idea. It's on a Temple website right here. They oh, got come on, Michelle. You got, a, you got another thing down pat. You know, when you when you look out there shaking hands and kissing babies, you know, you have to throw that out there, three-time All-American. I didn't know that. I honestly, I always remember being like kind of that under-the-radar player, like, I graduated, actually, one of my best friends, Paige Slinsky, Paige Slinsky is also, her and I played together, had the great fortune of playing together in London and then going to school together. But, you know, she was always like the stud, like she, you know what I mean? Like, so it was just so cool to be able to go through that and good players make good players better. She made me better. But it was one of those things, too, where I was just kind of an under the radar player. I wasn't highly recruited yeah, but it was fun to be able to play. I It kind of gave me a chip on my shoulder for the rest of my life, really, you know, so. There you go. So you got four gold medals. Is that, that what you said? No, two, two gold medals. I have a bronze medal from a Champions Trophy tournament, which is like the top six ranked teams in the world, which is like another major qualification tournament. I have a world, I actually do think I have a World League four gold medal. Do you not have a trophy room or? No. Yeah, you got to display those. Nathan's trying to set up our uh, man cave in the basement to uh, have all his oh, wife's 
all his wife's jerseys and trophies, but no, we haven't listen, really listen, like. Listen, listen, his, his trophies do not compare to yours. You need to set that up how you want it. No, and that's he, exactly he, what I'm saying. Maybe, maybe he can get some room in the corner for a jersey. <laughs> all right. No, <laughs> Let's I mean, see how that right now. Yes, that's why I was saying that, like kind of, you know, poking a little bit of fun. And then it's a man cave. I'm like, well, your wife is the one that, you know, decorating this room. But either way, like, no, I don't. I should. I mean, I have my University of Virginia degree. We have it hanging in the house. That's that's really the that's all we have hanging. <laughs> you got to you got to display that. So everybody you know, recognizes and, and got that right. Glass case. <laughs> Their respect as soon as they walk in. And your gold, gold medal just collecting dust. What's understood don't need to be said. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, that's it's full time under the gate, so I don't got to explain it. Like this. Yeah, is what yeah. I actually don't even know where my gold medals are. That sounds terrible. Oh <laughs> man. I know it sounds terrible. You got too many. That's what happens when you get too many. You no, know, it's not even. You no more. Damn it's it. not even that I have too many. It's not even that I have too many. It's really. It's just like I don't know when you're going through all these processes, like tangible items like a gold medal to me like that's why when you're like oh you have how many do you have like i don't even know but yeah. you there's so much more you know than winning that like yes it's amazing it's incredible but my cup is so full from all of the experiences the challenges everything that i was able to actually learn and go through that those things at the end of it yes they're important but like i'm not the type of person that you know hangs them up or just like you said i allow I don't know, my experiences to kind of speak for themselves rather than me having to like, you know, put it out there. But you put it in you because I'll be wearing them things around my neck when I go out. Yeah, I'm like as soon as you walk in, you want you dust your feet off and you're gonna you're gonna envision a couple cabinets. You know what I'm saying? Glass case, Chase. I know you're gonna be lit too, Chase. I can see you. You have like a lit shrine that is gonna be on both sides of the wall for your head. This way to the kitchen. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, I believe you. I believe it too. Hey, stay um, here. I might be wearing mine when you walking out. You no, know, you know, one of the things that uh that I, I you know, Michelle, she had an amazing career professionally, all those different type of things like that. But you know, the older you get, the more you realize like you gotta, you gotta, you gotta keep having that respect on your name. You gotta, you know what I'm saying? Don't be letting people throw that mud on your name out there. You got that narrative will change quick, man. <laughs> you know what I'm a narrative change quick. I know, true. You, you're like at some point you probably wake up and you're like, wait a second, like that yeah. was my life. I mean, I go through that in a in a in a way of sorts. Like I always look back and think about how difficult some of those processes were, and I'm always like, how did I do that? Like I don't know. Your brain like changes; it adapts to what your current situation is. So I mean. It's true, but yeah, I do remember it. Don't worry. It's not one of those things like I'm forgetting about it and stuffing it in a box and never thinking about it again. I mean, I'm lucky enough that I'm able to coach now and yeah. kind of mold the minds and, you know, the, yeah. You I'm trying to be to- humble as a coach. You got to be humble as a coach. Yeah, humble, but challenge them, support yeah. them and create an environment that like you're setting a positive example for who you're asking them to be. So yeah, like I said, I'm, I use my experiences. I just use them in a different way now. You know, I know the older we get, the more that we don't talk about them, but it needs to be put, the respect needs to be put on the name 100%. So where are you from, Michelle? How did you end up at the University of Virginia? Yeah. What got you you into field hockey? That's a good, that's another good question. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, So I'm originally from South Jersey, like the Cherry Hill area, very suburban to Philadelphia, about 11 miles away from where I currently live. So I'm, you know, living in a awesome place. I'm connected very close to my family, which is great. 
I ended up at the University of Virginia through recruiting, obviously through hockey. I don't know that I would have been able to get in without my athletic resume. Although I do, you know, think that I'm a smart person. Virginia is an unbelievable place academically. So yeah, my, my athletic achievements definitely boosted me up a little bit, but either way I started playing hockey, hockey on skate. So when I was very young, I actually started playing. My father played, he put us all in sports. He had three girls, treated us all like little boys played with boys like my entire life until I was probably about 16 or 17. And then in fifth grade, my PE teacher, I went to a friend school, like a Quaker school. And so in PE, they like would always expose us to different stuff. And I, there was like a hockey with like a hockey stick with like a big styrofoam thing on the end. You probably, y'all probably play with them too. Like it, I don't know. It's like, whatever we, we started playing and I was actually quite good. And my teacher was like, you should come play for my sixth grade for my middle school team, you know, randomly. And I was like, sure. Like, you know, whatever we can do that. My dad brought me, we showed up, I ended up playing and I, I guess I was quite good. I don't really remember. I have a memory though, of like me in hockey, the shifts are a little bit shorter, right? So like in hockey, similar to ice hockey, that's probably more of what y'all would probably recognize. Like you do a 90 minute to two minutes or sorry, 90 second to two minute shift. You jump right off. I made like one long run, scored a goal, ran right off the field. And my coach was like, no, what are you doing? You, you go get back on there. We didn't sub you. And I was like, I need a sub. I'm tired. So anyway, like it started then in fifth grade, I played in middle school. I guess there was tryouts and, you know, I made varsity as a sixth grader and still like, I had no idea. I was like, am I good? I remember walking into my teacher's office yeah. Like, oh, we just had tryouts. Like, you know, what am I going to make the B team? And she was like, oh, honey, <laughs> you're going to be on the A team. And I was like, oh, okay, like, sure. And I ended up playing, went to high school, played in high school, and then again, grew decently. There was like a bunch of different pipelines for the U.S. stuff. So I was named to some of, I did some of the U.S. stuff for for hockey. And that's kind of a big recruiting event as well. And then realistically got connected with Virginia through a summer recruiting kind of showcase. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they saw us, liked us, you know, we obviously went through the recruiting process. I actually like desperately wanted to go to Maryland. Yeah. Like my whole life, a lot of South Jersey girls went there, like very good girls who I like looked up to thought were amazing, but I ended up at Virginia just, you know, sometimes recruiting doesn't work out the way coaches, Mm -hmm. they don't need you roster sizes or whatever. But yeah, I went to Virginia best decision of my entire life like it was amazing that chances of like scotches or anything like yeah that. like michigan the coach of michigan she's not there any anymore but she i remember her offering you know like hey scholarship to come to michigan and i was like that shit's cold like i'm i that's a little too they, far away they play indoors uh, they play indoors yeah. up there or no is it like the cold no 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 they play outdoor i mean every hockey it's like the same pitch it's it's basically like a water-based pitch outdoors but it's cold like when you're playing in michigan i mean you're playing in through typically like we end the weekend before thanksgiving if you go i think if you go all the way to the national championship and i was fortunate enough to play in two of those weekends and two final four weekends in my four years there so Mm -hmm. we're playing like in 32 35 degree weather so Mm -hmm. i had that like a couple of other schools i guess express interest but i don't know when y'all got recruited too it was probably so different like than it is now where you're 
you know, I, I don't know. It was just, I have very little recollection of the entire process. But like I said, it wasn't like highly sought after. There was like g- girls that like Paige who went to Virginia with me was like, you know, highly sought after did like a million official visits. Yeah. So did diff- definitely a different process for me, but it, I ended up where I had to end up anyway. So there you go. When you showed up to UVA, did you already know what you was going to study or was you like looking at it like, all right, I'm going pro. I'm about to go through the international thing. No, I didn't. Like that, it's actually something most people, I feel like, who end up like, you know, going pro, playing football, like that's their, you know, football, especially like, you know, they are like, oh, that's what I'm going to do. For me, I don't know, female sports, I think it's definitely evolving. But like then it was not necessarily the most lucrative path (laughs) and yeah sought after path like hey you're you don't make a ton of money like playing for an olympic team the usoc obviously sponsors you but it's not like i said like you make sacrifices to be able to do that so i was kind of like no i don't want to do that i went in declared pre-med i still remember like you know (laughs) hey i want to be a doctor Um, (laughs) i know (laughs) there you go And I went through the process, realized that that was definitely not for me. And yeah, I think I was meant to be a hockey player. And I think I felt somewhat shameful of that. Like, not shameful, but I think society always kind of puts us in boxes, right? Like, hey, doctors, lawyers, any professional, like any any higher professional I guess, whatever, sorry, job title is more desirable. You're smarter, you're better, you make more money. And I don't know, I kind of always felt shameful of that. And I think I didn't really find that path until later and felt confident about that till later. I actually really read an unbelievable book. It's actually uh, called The Element. It's by a, I, I have to Google more about his education and like who he is, but by Ken Richardson called The Element. It talks about how like, you're in your element when you are really good at something and really passionate about something. And Mm -hmm. that is, you know, most people do not find that that is not the good fortune of most people that like, say they love something, but it's not like, you know, they're not that great at it or they're really great at something, but they don't love it. So like being able to find that blend of something you're good at and passionate about. So I just followed that scarily at first. I mean, I left school in 11 to 12 to go to London and then ended up coming back, graduating. Afterwards, started to get my master's in higher ed because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but liked the coaching path, but still felt like, is this the right thing? Like all my friends are doctors. I'm like, you know, like you always second guess, second guess yourself. So then, yeah, I ended up, you know, putting my master's on hold and like committing full time to obviously try to to go to Rio, which, like I said, was frightening. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so essentially, what did you end up studying while you were in? Oh, history. Sorry, we didn't. History. Okay. That's history. what you asked, essentially. Yeah, no, I went in pre-med. <laughs> definitely didn't, like I said, choose that. And then ended up declaring history and graduated with a bachelor's in history from Virginia. Okay, cool. How was the schedule like for you guys training-wise? You obviously had like a 20-hour you know, time block. I understand it definitely more now that I'm a coach. Mm-hmm. But we would train, you know, Monday through Friday. Well, Monday through Thursday. Sorry, Mondays were off. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we would train in the afternoon. So you would go to class in the morning, train and lift in the afternoon, and then play Friday, Sunday, train Saturday morning. So mm-hmm. most of your, your games were on the weekend. I, we played, I played Friday and Sunday? Yeah, we played two. Yeah, I mean... 
yeah, it it's definitely it's not a contact. I didn't make it to too many games, but yeah. hey, hey, man, we were we were gone. Their, their season was the same as ours. And Sunday we got practice, bro. Oh, yeah, yeah, you guys were in the Cavalier Inn, weren't you? Like right in that cabin. Yeah, like, we're in the cabin on Friday. R.I.P. Cabin. If we wanted to. So, like, how can you somebody play Friday and Sunday? What's the like? Is people hurt? Like, there's not no injury. Um, I mean, yeah, sometimes your bodies kind of get broken in the process. It really depends. Like, and hockey. I mean, it's not contact like football. Like, that's it's yeah. different. Like, y'all cannot do what we did. Like, that would not be a feasible, sustainable model. But. Yeah. Hockey-wise, like, yeah, it's just a ton of running. I mean, you run anywhere from, like, three to maybe seven miles in a game. I mean, one of my best players at Temple in our Big E semifinal tournament, she just, she ran 13 miles. Like, and we went into, like, two overtimes, did, you know, sudden death shootout. Like, it was was the longest game you could possibly have. So, and she played a full game, plays a position where she's constantly involved, but, like, 13 miles, and that's a lot. So realistically, you're covering like a significant distance and yeah, bodies break down, but it's kind of all up to the coach, to the, to the people in charge to program it so that you're, you know, focusing on performance, focusing on development, but while maintaining, obviously like, you know, their health and wellness. I don't want to jump too much into like what you're doing currently, but it's kind of hard with the parallel, you know, some coaches like especially football coaches, they'll be like, I went through two days and three days. And so we're going to, so now they're going to have them do that now in their coach, right? Like, how do you see the similarities from when you were a player to now you as a coach? It's definitely not similar. Okay. There's a lot of differences. Like there is a ton more protocols than (laughs) are in place, like for good reason. You know what I mean? Like we used to train three times in preseason, like three sessions in a day, you would run in the morning. I would run back-to-back fitness tests. Like, I would throw up in the middle of the fitness tests. And my coach would be like, get on the line. Like, it's different. Also, like, I was fine with that. You know, like, that was, I needed that push. I needed someone to, you know, kind of do that for me. I was dogging it, really. It's definitely different. Like I said, there's definitely, um, like, yeah, there's just a little more protocol in place just for the health and well-being of the student-athletes. We do not do three-a-days in preseason. But yeah, it's definitely challenging knowing like my background. I also, like I said, I didn't just play in college at a high level. I went on to play professionally at a high level. So coming back and, you know, it's you have to take your experiences and mold them to be able to and apply it to the population of people that you're working with. So, yeah, it's amazing. Like it's it's fun. I'm like I said, I'm very fortunate and blessed to do what I do. So what did you find most like fulfilling that made field hockey your passion? You know, like some people, you know, I'm sure there's players on the team that didn't have the same passion level that you had just going to school for the, you know, to to get through with it. I know a couple of players on our football team that was like that. But you know, where did you find that passion? What did you get most out of the sport that was like, this is what I want to do? Like, this this is what I want to do. That's a really good question. And it's, yeah, I mean, that's a super, it's a very true way to look at it. Like there are people whose motivations were very different, like, than mine. Like I remember after losing games, like it would physically affect me to the point where like I couldn't sleep I would need to watch the game like four times over like so everyone has a different response especially to like you know hockey in general but then additionally to like wins losses etc they you know cope differently I think probably the most rewarding thing for me is 
being a part of something way bigger than just what I wanted to accomplish, like being a part of a group. And mm-hmm. I, I really didn't find that I didn't know that I wanted to really coach until after the Rio Olympics and l- largely in part to the coach who coached me through that, to the staff that coached me through that, to that player group that went through that rigorous process with me because I saw what an incredible high performance environment did to that group of players, how it changed people, how it provided an incredible, just an incredible environment, something for us to look forward to, to rely on so much like togetherness. Like that was something to me that I saw like definitely physical, you know, and, and like hockey changes, tactical, technical changes on my part. I saw a big character development on my part. And I thought, wow, like a good coach can really make an unbelievable, unbelievable change on someone. Because like, I was a very stubborn player. I was definitely difficult to coach. I always wanted to like, know why, why are you doing this? Like, you know, what's our plan? What's the long-term and this, yeah, it just, it, that group, that playing group, that staff inspired me to be able to want to change other lives mm-hmm. uh, because I felt like my life had been changed for the better, you know, with everything I had learned, with the friends that I had made, the teammates that I had made, and with like the, the honest conversation and like collective sacrifice that we all made for our one common goal, which was yeah. like, you know, to make the U.S. team as good as it had ever been, which we did, you know, like in the modern era, we had made it the best it's ever been. Let's get into that, Dan. Like, tell us about like playing team, team USA, representing the country. Like, are these like, is it kind of like AAU basketball or like travel soccer where you've seen these girls growing up and then you all guys come together type situation? And you're like, yeah. oh, I hate playing against you, but now I'm glad we're on the same team type situation. Is it like that? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it's kind of exactly the same. Um, yeah. Very similar to, Definitely AAU and like the pipeline situation. I actually played in the Junior Olympics and AAU Junior Olympics. I think I was selected like once or twice for that. But there is definitely a very core group of individuals that I had grown up playing with, like in the summer, like on the U16 team, on the U19 team, on the U21 team. And then we would all go to our respective colleges and compete. So I had lost. UNC was like notorious for knocking out Virginia in Final Fours. And Probably six of those players that knocked me out and ripped my heart out were then my teammates, you know, for the Rio Olympics. So it's like, yes, you develop this tremendous, like almost hatred, respect, but then you find this, like I said, unifying almost reason, this unifying goal. You like, you know, you guys are all working towards the same thing. So no matter what prior beef, whatever it was that happened before you, you know, obviously have something more important to work towards. And that's what I meant by like being able to put all of our other individual, you know, needs aside for our collective needs. So, or our individual wants aside for our collective needs, because a want is ultimately different than a need in high performance. So, you know, the interesting thing about that is the fact like, you know, for me personally, like, once I see somebody and you like see them outside of the field of play and, you know, <laughs> people, people have like, how did I come off type situation? But, you know, some people just, they assholes on the field and then you get off the field and you're like, you know, they're nice guys. They're nice people. 
So yeah. did you did you have any issues with like trying to have that sense of like, uh, you know, don't worry about that like dirty play or whatever, you know what I'm saying? When you meet somebody from other team that was a rival that you was like, I'll do anything to beat this person to where and therefore you guys are coming to the same common goal. Like how do you how do you address that? Yeah, I, I mean me, I had a I had an issue with like I seen other people from my team, and it's still beef 100 percent all day. <laughs> yeah, we definitely had that. I mean, it took a little bit probably of like I don't know. It took a little bit of an adjustment when you're coming, you know, you're finally wearing the same, you know, thing across your chest. You're no longer rivals and you have a common rival, which is like, you know, other countries, other nations that you're competing against. You also grow up a little bit. So, you know, for me, who I was as an 18 to 22 year old person was so different than when I was competing in my second Olympics, I think at like 26 or 27. So I had like years of experience, like maturity, honestly, perspective that, that helped me kind of get over that stuff. But it also happened so long ago. Like I remember there was like, oh God, there was a couple of like really bad calls and decisions that were made in certain games in the NCAA tournament or the ACC tournament. But you just, like I said, you look back at those things and you kind of laugh. You're like, wow, that, that was definitely something that, you know, you, you laugh about it. So I think it's for me, I'm definitely a very different person off the field than I am on. Yeah. I like to consider myself someone you want on your team instead of someone you don't. But yeah, I mean, we could switch on and switch off. But like I said, that that really didn't bother us like later in our careers when we were all working towards the same thing. So makes sense. So spill the beans on the Olympics. You go to London, you go to Rio. What's the, what's the deal with the Olympics? Uh, just the in village. Jesus. What do you want to know about village? What what do you got for us? Like the experience. What's the? Experience? <laughs> I mean, it's unlike anything you could ever think of. They could ever dream about. I mean, the different. So I obviously going to two. Your first one is very different than your second. I think anyone who has been to multiple can probably can probably say that your first one. It's almost like you're a deer in headlights. Everything is the most exciting thing that's ever happened in your life. You know, you get to see famous people. You get to, I like, honestly, the photos that I have from London, just like at the opening ceremony, like I would walk up to every single human being and be like, can I have a photo with you? Like I was, you know, just vying for, you know, I just wanted so badly to, to, to meet everyone, see everyone, experience everything. And the second one, like I said, you have that initial experience from the first one. Oh, we also walked in the first opening ceremonies. And the second one, we chose not to as a team. And just like, you know, those two examples are, you know, give you perspective of what we were there to do, right? right? Like, we're not here to experience opening ceremonies as amazing as that is. Like, we're, we're it's a business trip. That's incredible. I think the village setup is incredible. What the USOC does to go in, build out this unbelievable, you know, these high rises with everything you could ever need. You know, you have a dining hall that's open 24 hours with every food you could possibly want. I mean, one of the coolest things I remember from the village is there is a tennis court on the inside of the village, like a training tennis court. And we're walking back from the gym one day. And I just see this absolute crowd, like this huge crowd of people around the tennis courts. And I'm like, who is on that court? And so we walk by, people are shouting down from their high rise, like their balconies, like, you know, it's getting loud. And then you look at the court and it's like Djokovic. And he's just like, like clapping his (laughs) tennis racket. And I just remember (laughs) and being like, he is just like training in the village with 
4,000 people watching him, like, you know, just on display. And I think like, I don't know, just anything you could possibly dream of. I brought Nathan, I brought my, we weren't married at the time, obviously, but he came into the village, he gets a guest pass and I brought him to dinner and then we're leaving dinner and he walks by Tony Parker and he was like, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I mean, it's just like crazy. He was like, oh my God, that was like the coolest thing ever. Yeah. So you yeah. just like kind of cross paths with them. And I always, I do love like all of the other very famous individuals who like come live in the village with their respective countries, like with their teammates. And you try to give them, you know, some respect. You say like, you know what I mean? You don't necessarily bombard them, but I think it's definitely a really cool experience. I think we're a team sport. So we compete the whole time. It's different than the people who have like one competition and then two weeks to party. <laughs> so <laughs> it's definitely, like I said, um, you know, there's various degrees of participation in the Olympic Village. You have, like I said, a ton of people who are competing until the end. People will get knocked out earlier. So like, and you still, you can stay there for the full two weeks. Like it's, but they do a remarkable job every, I'm, like I said, I'm very fortunate to be able to have experienced that twice. And I think it's, it's also awesome that like, you know, that's eight years. That's an eight year span right there. Right. Uh, going from one level to the next year. But at the same time, you have new All-Americans who are in college and you have new people that are coming up. Yeah. Like, to, to, to how, how is the competition level to be the best at what you do? You know what I'm saying? I think there's something to say towards like uh, dedication. So if you can talk about your like uh, how to maintain the position of the, being the best at what you do. What would you put towards that and any type of advice you may have for somebody else trying to maintain being the best? I mean, probably my first piece of advice is you're going to fail. I mean, the first Olympics we placed dead last. It was like a horrible embarrassment. I honestly debated even going back. Like we placed 12 out of 12. I remember we lost one game seven to nil. It was just like a completely different experience from the second one where we were competing in a quarterfinal um, we actually lost to Germany who went on to win a bronze medal, but we were second in our pool. We almost won our pool. And had we have won our pool, you know, we would have been in an unbelievable position. Also, they changed the crossover structure. So had we in London, top two from each pool, just each went to a semifinal. So we would have automatically been competing in a medal game. But mm -hmm. second round, second Olympics comes 2016, they changed the structure and there were, you know, one, two, and three got the opportunity to have a playing game. So there's a quarter, a semi, and then a final. So had we have done as well in 2016, the tournament structure was the same. I would have been competing for a medal. But they changed the structure to allow more opportunity. And Germany ended up beating us in our quarterfinal. And like I said, went on to win a bronze. But I mean looking back and comparing the two experiences, like I could have very easily walked away from the game forever after my final year in college. And like I said, I kind of had this very, I talked about it a little bit earlier. Like you have this fear of I'm not doing what everyone in society is doing. Like I'm putting my life on hold. I won't be making money. I, I mean, and you make a little money, but I mean, like I said, it's a sacrifice, like not being able to like, really, really, really make a, a lucrative income. Mm -hmm. So you think about that. You think about all of the pressure that you're receiving from friends who are going to live in New York and, you know, all of these people that like, you're doing this, you're making this decision in your like mid twenties when you're supposed to have like, you know, all this freedom and kind of carelessness. And instead I was like kind of buckling down and 
choosing a profession that was, you know, different than most. So I think like, you know, fear is another big thing that you're going to constantly have to battle and be able to like, you know, approach that and cope with that and be willing to kind of stare it down in the face and just do it anyway. I think also being very honest about like having really good self-awareness of like your needs and discussing like habits and behaviors and do they align with your end goal? Because I think that was not something that I started to do until later in my career when I was like, okay, well, these habits are not adding value or at least chipping away at my end goal. They're actually detracting from it. But those conversations are tough, especially when, like I said, your wants versus your needs. So I think it's just being really honest with yourself about, you know, what do you want to achieve? How are you going to get there? I think perspective is another thing. I was like wildly, I still am a perfectionist kind of to a fault where if, you know, anything below perfect to me isn't good enough, but I've learned over the years to start to be able to find the good and the positive in any instance. It actually, like I said, it's helped me with coaching because you have very little control over the outcome of games. You can do everything you can to prepare the people that you're coaching. But yeah, you have to you have to learn perspective and being able to have positive self-talk and good, you know, good awareness around that stuff. I don't know. I mean, I think like your work ethic is the last one. Just like I said, make sure when you talk about habits, like, you know, where your work ethic falls into that. Like, do you work harder than everyone else in the room? Or do you find excuses as to why you can't do it? So I don't know. Those are probably my biggest piece of advice. Maybe if you ask me like tomorrow, I'll say something else. But oh, those are good. Yeah, for right now, that's what I think. And I don't know. Oh, the last one I would say is surround yourself with people who either want what you want or will support support you endlessly in pursuit of what you want. And they won't detract from... Like I said, they're not going to pressure you to do things. Like I remember I had to, like not had to, but I was 25 and like turning down drinking. Like yeah. that's that's tough. And like I said, that was not easy for a very long time. But then, like I said, when you surround yourself with people who understand, will support you and then show up when you're successful, like not just when you're successful, but show up the entire time to support you. I think that's probably one of the most important things too, because no one, no one successful has a bad support system. I don't think, but no matter how small it is, it could be a very small circle. But one of the things that, you know, early on in my in my career that I, you know, learned and through listening to a lot of people, and you know, one of my favorite guys, Eric Thomas, is that, you know, you kind of are, I think it was either, you know, you're an average of like the five or six closest people to you. So I think I think that's huge. A lot of people don't realize like it's really hard to get where you're going, especially, you know, doing something like you're doing going to the unbeaten path if you have people who are always like oh hey well why can't you come do this or yeah you know or they're getting not even mad what i had to separate myself from you over there but i'm getting close for business (laughs) yeah but like and and it's not even that they're getting mad but it's like you know at at some level you know they don't understand that like you you understand they just want you to come and especially like drinking and stuff like have a good time with you and you know some of your friends just they just want to see so it's not coming from a bad place but at the same time they're not on that journey, so they just don't get it. And, it, and it's tough. Yeah. You know, you don't want to have to say no all the time, even though like, oh, well, if you can't make it, you can't make it. But, you know, it's tough being put in that position that you even have to, to constantly turn things down. So I think that's huge. You know, and a really good point you said is that a lot of people will figure that out a little bit late, later in life. 
And it's like, it's a lot easier when you surround people that have your goals or at least understand your vision, like you said. So, you know, that might be a really small circle and it might, it might not seem like it's the right thing to do, but in the end, you know, I I think you really do find out that that is truly a a path that you wanted to go with. Oh yeah. And it requires a ton of bravery, like belief in yourself and you'll second guess it like the whole time you'll be like, shit, like, am I really doing like, you know, why am I doing this? And you have to have a why, like, you have to come back to like, why do you want this? What does this give you? What, like, does this spark joy kind of thing? And I mean, as long as I think it does and you can answer those questions, honestly, like, yeah, I guess it kind of does make up for all the struggles that you have, but it's a good point. So let's get into where you're at now. So you, you do the Olympics, you train at the highest level, have an amazing college career. Then you just decide, I'm going to do coaching. That was the first, that was the first choice. Yeah, actually, definitely a first choice. Like I said, early on, probably in between the Olympics and even when maybe I was actually like, I don't know, still playing, I was like, what will I do? But I always actually coached the youth. I I own a hockey club. Well, my family owns a hockey club in South Jersey, actually, the one that we played for growing up. And club hockey is similar to any other sport, really, where it's just like a bunch of youth opportunities. You go to tournaments, you play in in showcase events and competitive, you know, youth tournaments and stuff like that. So I always like coached the younger generations, like, you know, anyone from eight to about 18. And that's it was a very large population of it was it was just a a large group of people. So I, I basically was coaching that age group. And then got the opportunity to coach in college, which is, like I said, a more concentrated, it's like, you know, eight between 18 to, I don't know, maybe 28 student athletes at any given time, depending on the roster size. So you get a little bit more of an individual kind of customized experience, I guess, realistically, you're able to be with them for four years, as opposed to maybe eight or 10, but you get them at a, you know, like I said, a really formative part of their life. Um, you get to make more of an impact than, you know, just hockey related. You get to do that all the time. But um, that was actually, I don't know, it just kind of happened for me. And I fell in love with it. And then I got the opportunity to be the head coach. And like I said, took that opportunity. And it's been incredible ever since. Tell me this. So you get on, you get on to Temple. Now, this is on the website. You get on the field hockey staff as an assistant coach in March of 2019. And then you're the head coach. Or an associate head coach. What is so it? I worked my way March of 2019. Yeah, I, I did get the position. Worked my way into the associate head coach role. You know, so the what head. Is that? What is an associate head coach? Associate head coach is just like you know a higher title than assistant technically, and in, in at least in our sport, you have a little bit more responsibility. You are the head coach's kind of right hand person, if you will. I, I guess it you know it's used as a way to I think promote someone without necessarily promoting them to a head coach. So yeah, I got the opportunity to do that shortly after and then was given the interim position. There was a coaching change, was given the interim position. And immediately after that season was actually offered the head coach job full time. Sounds like they planted you knew what they was going to do. (laughs) You know, actually had, you know, I have done anything differently. Maybe not like they, you know, they had the option. There's always an option to open the position to search, to make a search. And they chose not to, I think, you know, they were, like I said, just happy with who I was in that environment, with how I conducted myself, with the results, maybe. I mean, 
I don't know. I never really asked the question. I just said, thank you. I'm like, you know, would love to accept the position and, and did. So. Awesome. So now you're, I'm sure you were a leader and a captain when you were on the field. What's kind of the difference of being in that position of not necessarily leading your peers, but overseeing younger individuals, basically a mentorship coaching type of, it's obviously coaching, but almost a mentorship type of role for people as they go into other careers in their lives, you know? Yeah. Uh, the head coach is so important to so many athletes. Yeah, no, that's, it's completely true. I, it's why I love my job though. Like I think we're not here, not necessarily. Yes. I mean, it's important to obviously produce, you know, good results, but I think it's also my responsibility to produce good people, very hardworking career oriented people that are prepared to kind of go into society and make an impact, make a positive impact. And like I said, that comes with a lot of responsibility. It's a little bit scary. (laughs) Sometimes I'm like, whoa, but I think one of the biggest differences is, you know, I kind of said this a little bit earlier. There's a lot of responsibility to prepare them for everything because at the end of the day, I'm on the sideline, they're on the pitch, and I have to prepare the individuals that are participating to be able to handle anything that comes at them. And I think, you know, I try to take that very seriously. I think I do take that very seriously. I also, want, like I said, to do nothing but endlessly support them and their needs and anything, you know, that it is, whether that's hockey related, family related, academic related, socially related, you know, there are people, this guy, like I said, this is a very formative time of their life. People are learning new things about themselves or, you know, coming to terms with things maybe they've always known and it's scary. And, you know, it's, it's our job as coaches, like I said, to be, positive role models to be mentors and to prepare them and challenge them while additionally being able to support them. So surely you can still go out there and perform at a high level. You know, I don't know if I could anymore. You know, like, you know, like me, that's like, you know, way past, like, like, you know what I'm saying? Way past even thinking about going out there to run, you know what I'm saying? So essentially like when you get a little talk back from uh, some of your uh, athletes or, you know, Anything that you, some arguments and stuff like that. How does it, like, how do you handle that situation being as a person that did it at such a high level? Like, that's one of the things that I didn't, I didn't get into coaching for because I'm not going to sit here and argue with you. Right? <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and argue with you and, and, and talk about how to do things. So how do you handle that dynamic? You know, I don't have much pushback in terms of my knowledge or anything that they ask me. I think that they trust what, you know, what, yes, my resume does speak to you also kind of touched on it a little bit like there are days that like I put on my shin guards and pick up a stick and we'll play on the opposition like on the opposing team and no mercy kind of do what I do and I think like as the years I've as the separation from me actually playing competitively has happened I've definitely gotten worse (laughs) but you see like they will switch on in a way when I'm on the other team they will switch on in a way that I'm like God, are you trying to kill me? Like yeah. it just, they get very competitive, <laughs> in a very competitive in a very good way. And it's just, it's very interesting when you're a coach that can actually act, you know, do that at any point you are inside the game, which is very different from being on the outside. So you're able to feel and see how things are developing. You, when you have the ball, you're able to say, okay, are you actually available? What does availability look like? So all of these things that we talk about, I get to see it. Um, which actually I think helps a little bit just from my understanding of what what's needed and how to address certain topics. I think, you know, if I were to have any student athlete 
express that they disagree, I'd give them the opportunity respectfully to like explain to me why, show me why, let me see how. Honestly, in my opinion, if it's a better solution to then what I'm seeing, I mean, because we all have blind spots, right? Like I think any coach who thinks they know everything respectfully is an idiot. Like respectfully, respectfully <laughs> isn't it? Like, and I would never act like I knew everything. I know what I know. I hire the people around me to fill gaps that in areas that I don't know. And I think like the best thing you can do is be open-minded to learn in any, in any topic. I mean, that's not necessarily as it relates to hockey, that's in anything. And I think, like I said, the day that you stop learning or the day that you stopped being open-minded to things is the day that you, you get worse. I got a feeling your inbox is going to be full next practice. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Everyone has a suggestion I mean, for you. <laughs> no, I think like if anything, like find it, find the good in it. Like they're brave enough. They're believing in themselves enough to be able to bring it to the table. Now, do I think, you know, in certain areas, like mostly what yeah. we're doing is right. Yes. But like I said, if I have a brilliant student, student athlete, someone who's so good at what they do, sees the game in a different way than I do, than I ever did. I mean, the game's also always evolving, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's not the same that it was four years ago, 10 years ago. You know, I would love to harness that. And that was who I was as a player, truly. Like I thought I knew best all the time. I, like I said, I was not easy to coach, but I don't know. I think rather than like shutting those people up, putting them in a box and not giving them the platform to even express themselves is, is not good. So finding a way, I think, to be able to, I don't know, help develop their curiosity. That makes sense. I had a coach back in high school who used to play for the Atlanta Falcons. He was like six, six, four, like 330 at the time. You know, so he hadn't played in a while. But one day our coach, he was like, hey, his name was Oliver. Oliver, go show him how it's done. He like runs over the kid like with a clothesline, and the kid the kid goes into a somersault. I'm like, yo. And then he was probably, and then that kid probably never ever, you know, was he was probably afraid to do anything ever again. I mean, oh, nobody talked to that coach ever again. He like they were like, at this point, he was like, listen, don't I don't want him nothing talking back. This is this is how it goes, you know. Saying you said get on the line, we get on the line quickly. You know what I'm saying? Like, nobody wanted no smoke with him. So that's actually uh, really funny. Wow, you were lucky because I mean that's awesome, Max. You got anything, man? You want to you want to provide anything? Yeah, you know. Well, first of all, and don't you know, don't get yourself in trouble. But what what is next? You know, are you are you there for the long haul? You know, you got to get a couple of national championships under your belt, or you know, are you just just kind of figuring that out? No, I think that's a fair question. I mean, I love where I work. I actually love the city of Philadelphia. Nathan, and I love it, but I think. I'm not oh, close-minded to kind of anything, any place. I love my team. I think that's another thing. Like what we're doing here, I think is really special. Being able to grow it. I think in the last, since I've been on board as an assistant, we've done nothing but improve. But then this last year was the best year that Temple Field Hockey has had in modern times. Like, you know, I think we were 13 and six. We were ranked 23rd out of the top 25. So we had a really special year. And like, I feel that I'm making a really big impact in their lives, definitely in their hockey careers. But yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, not closed off to options, like love challenges. I don't know what's next. I mean, what's next is I 
I actually, I'm getting on a flight to Orlando tomorrow morning to uh, go to the NFHC. It's a hockey convention. It's a coaches convention. So that's literally what's next for me. That's all that matters. What's, 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 what's tomorrow? There you go. Wednesday, in case you were wondering. Uh, last question. <laughs> do, do you have to, you know, you're in Philadelphia. Have you run into Dom Joseph since you've been out there? Actually, no. No. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, Dom, I haven't. Oh. No, I haven't. But didn't you work at Roman Catholic for a while? Was he a football coach there? He's still a Roman Catholic. Oh, he is. Catholic. That's he likes, like, he likes to say that everything through Philadelphia comes through him. I just wanted to. That's just, what he said. Yeah, he, he said, "Oh, no one moving Philly without without talking yeah, to him, especially yeah. Temple." That is so funny. No, I actually haven't run into him. He hasn't come to my games. I'm pissed about it. Oh yeah, we'll make sure he gets the message. <laughs> um, well, Michelle, thank you for jumping on here. It was great to conversate with you. See how things are going. Let people know where they can reach you at. You know, what's the best place to reach you if they were trying to look for a mentor or trying to go the same route as you, trying to go to the Olympics? What's the best way to get in touch with you? I mean, definitely via email. My email is on the Temple website. It's literally my my first name dot or period my last name at temple.edu. I also have like you know Instagram and stuff. They can always reach out. The Instagram, it's at Mish, M-I-C-H, Vitesse, V-I-T-T-E-S-E. But yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was, like I said, it's always fun to kind of reminisce. Like, I appreciate it. I think, you know, anytime that you get to talk, like, you know, about your mission, what you want to do, your why, I think it's it's definitely cool to be able to share this experience with others because there's few that get, that get it and there's few that are brave enough to take it. So yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. And with that, we out. We'll see you, we'll see you guys next week.